0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Cozy Christmas Podcast. I am excited about what we have ahead for this month. I have declared it to be the official Charles Dickens month, mostly because it's my birthday and that gives me the right to do what I want, right? Well, I have a birthday coming up on the 18th and I'm turning 42 years old, which seems pretty epic to me. I'm looking forward to spending that time together with my family as we're going to be on vacation. This month, we're focusing a little bit on Charles Dickens and one of his first Christmas stories called A Christmas Dinner. In this episode, I want to read the story to you uh, because it's quite possible you're not familiar with it or you've never even heard of it before. You know, I think when we think of Christmas, we think of, and, and Dickens, we think of a Christmas Carol, and rightfully so, but he has written quite a few things about Christmas, and this is a very charming 15-minute story, and I think you'll enjoy it. It's about the middle of August now, and the weather doesn't really feel that much more like fall. It did near the beginning of August, which got me excited for, uh, uh, for Christmas and for fall weather, and, you know, pumpkin-spiced everything. Which is what I love. We're at the store and we got the kids school supplies all set and they'll be heading back in a couple of days. Um, if you have a teacher in your, in your life that, that you appreciate, make sure you let them know that. Just send them a, a note or a little gift or something just to encourage their day. That really can make all the difference for them. Anyway, I, I'm really looking forward to here. Hopefully in a couple of weeks, the temperatures start to drop again and we can get some more fall-like weather happening uh, where I live. Near the end of July, I was feeling in a fall mood, so I decided to make myself some homemade pumpkin spice coffee. I didn't have any creamer. They don't sell that creamer yet, not till later on in the fall, so I had to make my own, and I really just mixed some milk with sugar and pumpkin pumpkin pie seasoning, and it Honestly, it tasted okay, but as I was uh, sitting down to enjoy that, my wife noticed what I was drinking and and she sniffed and she said, "Why do I smell pumpkin pie?" and so I told her what I had made, and she just kind of shakes her head at me and maybe mock disappointment. And she's wondering now if this maybe this podcast was a good idea for me since it was only July, and I was already craving pumpkin spiced lattes anyway, she told me that uh, she thought I had seasonal denial disorder, you know she might be right. So I don't know, do you suffer from Seasonal Denial Disorder? Although we don't suffer from that. I think we enjoy every minute of it, don't we? (laughs) So my fellow Seasonal Denial Disorder sufferers, let's talk about Christmas. Coming up this year, we might have a pandemic Christmas. Maybe folks don't want to think about that, or they're trying to ignore that, or they're hoping that it won't happen. But it's very likely it could. Uh, I know at least in our state, the numbers either continue to hold steady or or go back up. This year could be a Christmas in quarantine. So I want to start thinking about ways that we can maybe come up with new traditions that we can still do to, to make Christmas special, even if we have to do it differently than before. As you recall from our first episode, my family and I, we don't really go anywhere for Christmas other than to stay home and just enjoy each other. My wife's parents often will come for a visit on the day. Regardless, we're looking at possibly doing Christmas different. So I've been thinking about how can we celebrate Christmas when maybe we have to be socially distant from each other, or there's a mask requirement, or you know we're not allowed to go to where we used to go and do what we used to do. There's a lot of activities and social activities and things that have been canceled, And I think it's just going to look very different this year, even if things do get better. I think the key word for us this year is going to be keeping it simple. One idea I had, and I was inspired, honestly, listening to the one of the recent podcasts of A Christmas Clatter. Todd Killian had Jerry Davila on, and they were talking about Christmas caroling. And I think that is a great tradition to start. And that is one that we can do, even if there are lockdowns. And let me, let me explain because I know one of the things they say could be potentially dangerous is singing because you're breathing out all those germs. If you've never Christmas caroled, I, it is a wonderful opportunity. We go as a group from our church and we go to our local retirement home and we usually carol for them. They just love that we come and we sing and that, you know, that they're remembered during Christmas time. Many of them are often very lonely. You know, especially around the big holiday season times and they love seeing the, the church folks show up and singing to them. And, and, you know, we're, we're not any threat to like the Mormon Tabernacle choir or anyone like that. Okay. It's the effort and it's that personal connection that they really enjoy. And so I'd encourage you to do that if you're able is to take your family and go caroling, whether you're able to go into a, retirement home situation like that or a hospital or a nursing home if there's shutdowns and lockdowns that's probably not going to be an option so you can still go to people's houses and just sing outside and you know if you're going with a group of people make sure you're staying 6 feet apart or you could even do what my family and I have done in some years past where we we stay at home and record ourselves singing on christmas eve and then we email the video to all of our family or we post it on Facebook. I have family that lives from coast to coast. I mean, we're scattered all over the United States. You know, Obviously, we can't get around to everybody and see everyone, so we record a special video for them on Christmas Eve where we're singing and talking and and some things, just to send them our, our Christmas greetings. You could definitely do that. Just set up a camera, record yourself singing, record yourself saying a Christmas wish to someone, and email it to them, or if they're technologically savvy, you know, set up a Zoom meeting and, and just tell them you're thinking of, of them. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be complex. You know, get your kids up there. If they have any talents, let them do a talent on the video for your family and share that around. These are some things that we have done in years past that I know we'll be able to do again. It, it just really makes for a great time. Uh, and your families enjoy that. Well, They usually enjoy that, unless they can hear me sing, then they hit the mute button. But that's something that you can do to uh, just tell your family that you're thinking of them, that even if you can't be together. Well, I've got some other ideas for how we can celebrate Christmas differently this year, but we'll wait and look at those next month, and we'll continue looking at some of that as we get closer to Christmas. We are celebrating Charles Dickens this month. Because, as I've said multiple times, he's my favorite. Alright, so i got a a great little story I want to read to you. Charles Dickens was born on February 7th, 1812, and he died June 9th, 1870. So this year marks his 150th anniversary of his death. He is the author of a bunch of things you've heard of, and some wonderful stories that you might not have heard. It's hard to pick favorites because so much of his work is good. But some of my favorites are uh, Tale of Two Cities, uh, Great Expectations, and of course Christmas Carol. Another favorite of mine is one you might not have read, and that's the novel Little Dorrit. And then another is a short, is a short story called Dr. Marigold. When Dickens was 12 years old... He was sent to work at a factory when his father was imprisoned in Marshall C. Detter's prison. This was a very difficult time for Dickens, and it would end up being one of the lowest points of his life. But it would also help his writing in the years to come. The experience had a profound psychological uh, impact on him that I think he carried with him throughout his life. And there are hints that even during the last year of his life, That the memories of the factory still haunted him. If you've watched the movie uh, The Man Who Invented Christmas, though it does take some liberties with historical events, I think it does accurately portray his trauma about working at the factory and that trauma that he carried with him into his adult life. I think that that part is one of the many very well done things about that film. In 1832, when he was 20 years old, he wanted to be an actor and he definitely had the gift for it. His acting abilities would serve him later as he wrote so many larger-than-life-yet-authentic characters. He managed to get an audition at Covent Garden, which could have launched him into a career as an actor. However, he had to cancel the appointment because he was sick that day, and perhaps it was providentially so. Shortly after that, in 1833, he wrote up a short story called A Dinner at Poplar Walk and it was published in the Monthly Magazine. Yeah, that's what it was called, the Monthly Magazine. (laughs) Uh, Great name for it. The sketches he wrote for different periodicals quickly became extremely popular. He wrote under the pseudonym of Boz. A lot of his early work was collected in a book called, funnily enough, Sketches by Boz, which are definitely worth the read. The story I'm going to read to you was published in the magazine Bell's life in London on December 27, 1835, under the title, Christmas Festivities. Now you might be unfamiliar with this story, so that's why in this episode I'm going to read it to you. So if you are familiar with his stories, or even just familiar with A Christmas Carol, see if you can find the foreshadowing of his greater works and themes in this little story. So let's sit back and relax. Find a delicious cup of eggnog, hot chocolate, or Christmas tea, and let me tell you a story. A Christmas Dinner by Charles Dickens Christmas time. That man must be a misanthrope indeed in whose breast something like a jovial feeling is not roused, in whose mind some pleasant associations are not awakened by the recurrence of Christmas. There are people who will tell you that Christmas is not to them what it used to be, that each succeeding Christmas has found some cherished hopes or happy prospect of the year before, dimmed or passed away, that the present only serves to remind them of reduced circumstances and straitened incomes, of the feasts they once bestowed on hollow friends, and of the cold looks that meet them now in adversity and misfortune. Never heed such dismal reminiscences. There are few men who have lived long enough in the world who cannot call up such thoughts any day in the year. Then do not select the merriest of the 365 for your doleful recollections. But draw your chair nearer the blazing fire, fill the glass and send around the song. And if your room be smaller than it was a dozen years ago, Or if your glass be filled with reeking punch instead of sparkling wine, Put a good face on the matter, and empty it offhand, And fill another, and troll off the old ditty you used to sing, And thank God it's no worse. Look on the merry faces of your children, if you have any, As they sit around the fire. One little seat may be empty, One slight form that gladdened the father's heart, And roused the mother's pride, look upon may not be there dwell not upon the past think not that one short year ago the fair child now resolving into dust sat before you with the bloom of health upon its cheek and the gaiety of infancy in its joyous eye reflect upon your present blessings of which every man has many not on your past misfortunes of which all men have some fill your glass again with a merry face and a contented heart. Our life on it, but your Christmas shall be merry, and your new year a happy one. Who can be insensible to the outpourings of good feeling and the honest interchange of affectionate attachment, which abound at this season of the year? A Christmas family party. We know nothing in nature more delightful. There seems a magic in the very name of Christmas. Petty jealousies and discords are forgotten. Social feelings are awakened in bosoms to which they have long been strangers. Father and son or brother and sister who have met and passed with averted gaze or a look of cold recognition for months before proffer and return the cordial embrace and bury their past animosities in their present happiness. Kindly hearts that have yearned towards each other, but have been withheld by false notions of pride and self-dignity, are again reunited, and all is kindness and benevolence. Would that Christmas lasted the whole year through as it ought, and that the prejudices and passions which deform our better nature were never called into action among those to whom they should ever be strangers." The Christmas family party that we mean is not a mere assemblage of relations got up at a week or two's notice, originating this year, having no family precedent in the last and not likely to be repeated in the next. No, it is an annual gathering of all the accessible members of the family, young or old, rich or poor, and all the children look forward to it for two months beforehand in a fever of anticipation. Formally, it was held at Grandpapa's, But Grandpapa, getting old, and Grandmama, getting old too, and rather infirm, they have given up housekeeping and domesticated themselves with Uncle George. So the party always takes place at Uncle George's house. But Grandmama sends in most of the good things, and Grandpapa always will toddle down all the way to Newgate Market to buy the turkey, which he engages a porter to bring home behind him in triumph, always insisting on the man's being rewarded with a glass of spirits over and above his hire to drink a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to Aunt George. As to Grandmama, she is very secret and mysterious for two or three days beforehand, but not sufficiently so to prevent rumors getting afloat that she has purchased a beautiful new cap with pink ribbons for each of the servants, together with sundry books, and penknives and pencil cases for the younger branches, to say nothing of diverse secret additions to the order originally given by aunt george at the pastry cooks such as another dozen of mince pies for the dinner and a large plum cake for the children on christmas eve grandmama is always in excellent spirits and after employing all the children during the day in stoning the plums and all that insists regularly every year on uncle george coming down into the kitchen taking off his coat and stirring the pudding for half an hour or so, which Uncle George good-humoredly does to the vociferous delight of the children and servants. The evening concludes with a glorious game of blind man's buff, in an early stage of which Grandpapa takes great care to be caught, in order that he may have an opportunity of displaying his dexterity. On the following morning, the old couple, with as many of the children as the pew will hold, go to church in great state, leaving Aunt George at home, dusting decanters and filling casters, and Uncle George carrying bottles into the dining parlor, and calling for corkscrews and getting into everybody's way. When the church party return to lunch, Grandpapa produces a small sprig of mistletoe from his pocket, and tempts the boys to kiss their little cousins under it, a proceeding which affords both the boys and the old gentleman unlimited satisfaction but which rather outrages Grandmama's idea of decorum until Grandpapa says that when he was just 13 years and 3 months old, he kissed Grandmama under a mistletoe too, on which the children clapped their hands and laugh very heartily, as do Aunt George and Uncle George. And Grandmama looks pleased and says with a benevolent smile that Grandpapa was an impudent young dog, on which the children laugh very heartily again, and Grandpapa more heartily than any of them. But all the diversions are nothing to the subsequent excitement when Grandmama, in a high cap, and slate-colored silk gown, and Grandpapa with a beautifully plaited shirt frill and white neckerchief, seat themselves on one side of the drawing-room fire, with Uncle George's children and little cousins innumerable seated in the front, waiting the arrival of the expected visitors. Suddenly, a hackney coach is heard to stop, and Uncle George... Who has been looking out of the window, exclaims, "Here's Jane!" On which the children rush to the door and helter-skelter downstairs and Uncle Robert and Aunt Jane and the dear little baby and the nurse and the whole party are ushered upstairs amidst tumultuous shouts of "Oh my!" from the children and frequently repeated warnings not to hurt baby from the nurse and Grandpapa takes the child, and Grandmamma kisses her daughter. And the confusion of this first entry has scarcely subsided when some other aunts and uncles with more cousins arrive, and the grown-up cousins flirt with each other, and so do the little cousins too, for that matter, and nothing is to be heard but a confused din of talking, laughing, and merriment. A hesitating double-knock at the street door, heard during a momentary pause in the conversation, excites a general inquiry of, Who's that? and two or three children who have been standing at the window announce in a low voice that it's poor Aunt Margaret, upon which Aunt George leaves the room to welcome the newcomer, and Grandmamma draws herself up, rather stiff and stately, for Margaret married a poor man without her consent, and poverty not being a sufficiently weighty punishment for her offense has been discarded by her friends and debarred the society of her dearest relatives. But Christmas has come round, and the unkind feelings that have struggled against better dispositions during the year have melted away before its genial influence, like half-formed ice beneath the morning sun. It is not difficult in a moment of angry feeling for a parent to denounce a disobedient child, but to banish her at a period of general goodwill and hilarity from the hearth round which she had sat on so many anniversaries of the same day. Expanding by slow degree from infancy to girlhood, and then bursting almost imperceptibly into a woman, is widely different. The air of conscious rectitude and cold forgiveness which the old lady has assumed sits ill upon her, and when the poor girl is led in by her sister, pale in looks and broken in hope, not from poverty, for that she could bear, but from the consciousness of undeserved neglect and unmerited unkindness. It is easy to see how much of it is assumed. A momentary pause succeeds. The girl breaks suddenly from her sister and throws herself sobbing on her mother's neck. The father steps hastily forward and takes her husband's hand. Friends crowd round to offer their hearty congratulations and happiness and harmony again prevail. As to the dinner, it's perfectly delightful. Nothing goes wrong and everybody is in the very best of spirits and disposed to please and be pleased. Grandpapa relates a circumstantial account of the purchase of the turkey with a slight digression relative to the purchase of previous turkeys on former Christmas days, which Grandmama corroborates in the minutest particular. Uncle George tells stories and carves poultry and takes wine and jokes with the children at the side table and winks at the cousins that are making love Are being made love to, and exhilarates everybody with his good humor and hospitality, and when at last a stout servant straggles in with a gigantic pudding, with a sprig of holly in the top, there is such a laughing and shouting and clapping of little chubby hands, and kicking up of fat, dumpy legs, as can only be equaled by the applause with which the astonishing feast of pouring lighted brandy into mince pies is received by the younger visitors. Then the dessert and the wine and the fun. Such beautiful speeches and such songs. From Aunt Margaret's husband, who turns out to be such a nice man and so attentive to Grandmama. Even Grandpapa not only sings his annual song with unprecedented vigor, but on being honored with a unanimous encore, according to annual custom, actually comes out with a new one which nobody but Grandmama ever heard before. And a young scapegrace of a cousin, who has been in some disgrace with the old people for certain heinous sins of omission and commission, neglecting to call and persisting in drinking Burton ale, astonishes everybody into convulsions of laughter by volunteering the most extraordinary comic songs that ever were heard. And thus the evening passes in a strain of rational goodwill and cheerfulness, doing more to awaken the sympathies of every member of the party in behalf of his neighbor and to perpetuate their good feeling during the ensuing year than half the homilies that have ever been written by half the divines that have ever lived. And that was A Christmas Dinner by Charles Dickens. Are you looking forward to Christmas dinner this year? I have to admit I am, even though it's only the first part of August. Our Christmas dinner this year, it might not have all the crowd you are used to, but I hope you find it to be a time of joy, fun, and games. A time to reconnect with people, and maybe an opportunity for you to forgive someone that you've been distant with, or to be forgiven yourself. A lot can happen around the Christmas dinner table. We'll talk more about that story in a couple of weeks. But for now, I want to thank you again for all who have been sharing and commenting on this podcast. I have loved hearing from you and getting to know you more. There are a couple of ways you can help this podcast out. If you go to cozychristmaspod.com, it will take you to cozychristmas.libson.com, which is my podcast host site, and you will find all of my social media links up on top. And please send me your stories, jokes, memes, comments, questions, or any wild and unfound accusations you might have. Share, rate, and review on whatever site you download this episode on. It really does help get the word out. You can also help the show financially. I'm on coffee. You can go to coffee.com backslash Christmas, and for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help us out. As always, I look forward to when we can meet again. In the next episode, we'll talk more about this story, I'll check in with Gracie and see what she's been up to, and then I'll share a memory about my favorite Christmas chef, my grandma. Until we meet again, share your stories, and remember, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Have a very Merry Christmas.